you know, is a lot of emotions for this deer just because I knew he was there. I knew the cow would have him, but it's a deer you dream about. You know, people go to the Midwest and want to shoot a 150. You know, to do it in New England, you know, within 20 miles of my house in a piece of property I've hunted since I was 12 years old, it was pretty cool. And that deer stepped out. I was at full draw, perfectly broadside, and I almost released, and then he stepped right towards me. Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 234. Henry Moncrief, read the hunting pressure, smell like nothing. Support for the Big Buck Registry and the Deer Hunt Podcast comes from Black Ash Outdoor Products. Reduce your risk of tree stand suspension trauma with a tree stand wingman, the tree stand emergency descender system, the enforcer. Take control of your odor footprint with your personal ozone generator, the rack packer. Don't drag your deer out of the woods like a caveman. Never drag a deer again. No need to kill yourself dragging a deer when there's the rack packer. Use the promo code BIGBUCK, B-I-G-B-U-C-K, at checkout to earn free shipping at $23 value. Go to therackpacker.com. Covert scouting cameras, remote cameras for hunting, wildlife, and security. The Horny Buck Seed Gummy. It's all about the freshest seed. Morse's Sporting Goods, a full line of sporting goods without the sales tax. Northwoods Common Sense. New England's finest white-tailed deer lures, 100% fresh, pure, and undiluted. And Big Buck merch. For only $19.99, you can get a cool, high-quality Big Buck t-shirt and show support for this podcast by visiting www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash M-E-R-C-H. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hello, this is Cuz Strickland with Mossy Oak, and you're about to listen to the podcast that I listen to 16 and a half hours nonstop. The Big Buck Registry is the best out there. I'm Chrissy Titus. I'm co-host of RMEX Female Television Show and NRA I Am Forever. Gear up for another amazing episode with Jay and Dusty on the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey guys, this is Robbie Kroger from Blood Origins. You're about to listen to my favorite podcast, the Big Buck Registry. Enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, fellow predators. My name is Jay. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. For Dusty Phillips and Jim Keller and the entire staff here at the Big Buck Registry, welcome to this week's show. There are a couple things I'd like you to do for us if you could. If you would, please check us out on iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a review. With your help, we're going to try and push this show up the iTunes charts. I know we have a lot of listeners out there, and I need you to take some action. I need you to leave a review and subscribe to the show. If you do subscribe, that'll give you access and notification each and every week that a new show is released. You can also access this show in its entirety on YouTube, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. It's all right there for you to access on demand at your fingertips. Regarding the harness program, we have an ample supply of harnesses to give away from our volunteer donors. If you're in need of a full body harness, please send an email to j at bigbuckregistry.com. 
Hunting in multiple semi-local states can have a huge advantage to a deer hunter, especially if some of the states hold longer seasons. Henry Moncrief uses this to his advantage as he hunts Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Maine. These states, despite their reputation for holding smaller rack bucks compared to the Midwest, for example, lower deer densities, and difficult hunting terrain, Henry seems to have found a formula for hunting and killing the bigger, if not the biggest bucks in these woods, no matter which state he hunts. Henry changes his strategies based off of the weather patterns that the Northeast can deliver, loves to read hunting pressure, and says scent control to the point of smelling like nothing is the key to his success. We'll turn to our entire interview with Henry Moncrief in just one moment, but before we do, let's turn to Jim Keller for the Deer News. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story this week, Michigan DNR to begin deer migration study in western Upper Peninsula. This story is from the DeerFriendly.com website. The Michigan Department of Natural Resources will soon begin capturing and collaring white-tailed deer in the western Upper Peninsula as part of a multi-year study to quantify movement patterns of deer, especially migration between winter and summer ranges. Completing the study will provide DNR wildlife managers with valuable information needed if chronic wasting disease is detected in the Upper Peninsula. Although CWD has not been documented in the Upper Peninsula, managers found infected deer in two Wisconsin captive cervids facilities within 30 miles of the Michigan border, said Terry Minzy, DNR UP Regional Wildlife Supervisor. While it is not possible to predict if or when we will find CWD in the UP, preparations seem prudent. In some instances, deer in the UP have been documented seasonally migrating more than 30 miles. There are no known health risks posed to humans by CWD, though as precautions, the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention recommends animals infected with the disease not be eaten. A scientifically based understanding of deer movements, seasonal home ranges, migration, dispersal, transient and exploratory movements, and estimates of population abundance are critical for developing management recommendations in response to CWD. The information collected on deer movements would also extend the application of the new tools Michigan State University is developing for management of CWD in Lower Michigan. Other important benefits of the study include the use of camera grids to estimate deer abundance and composition that could provide valuable data for managing harvests and a better understanding of the spatial distribution of deer populations. Beginning this year, the initial work on the study will span four fiscal years with a total budget of 613000 After the project is completed in the western UP, DNR biologists would propose parallel projects in the central and eastern UP to develop a comprehensive strategy across the region. The DNR will work with researchers from Mississippi State University on this project as it has been a multi-year predator-prey study of the effects of winter and predators on white-tailed deer in the UP. For more information on deer in Michigan, visit the DNR's webpage at www.mi.gov forward slash deer, or for more information on chronic wasting disease, visit www.mi.gov forward slash CWD. Weather, other factors, have Mississippi hunters happy. This story is from the Daily Times Leader website was reported by Steve Rogers. A bountiful acorn crop in a colder-than-usual December have hunters and deer processors happy with a month still to go in deer season. And it comes at a time of year when many hunting families are carrying on a tradition that spans generations. While state wildlife officials say they won't have any firm numbers until after the end of this month and again at the end of the season, preliminary harvest counts from around the state support the anecdotal evidence from area hunters and processors. 
Overall, the state experts estimate the state's deer population at about 1.75 million, with about 280,000 taken each year by hunters. Outdoorsmen attribute the better hunting to several factors, including an abundant supply of one of the deer's favorite food in the wild, changes in deer hunting rules, and cold weather. But perhaps the biggest difference from the previous two years is the weather. When it's cold, the deer have to move more to search for food. This December has much been much colder than the last two Decembers, and January is expected to continue the trend. One more thing may be contributed to more bucks and more deer overall right now. According to the NDWFP, from mid-December to mid-January is prime breeding season in many parts of North Mississippi. That means more bucks are looking for more does. Experts say the feeding habits and improved land management and deer management are leading to the increased weights. Other factors also contribute to the ups and downs in horn sizes, but as more landowners manage their properties and what can be taken, the number of trophy mounts will only grow. Deer that attacked Troy, New York man test positive for rabies. This story is from the WRGB CBS Channel 6 News in Albany website. Lorenzolaire County Health Department said Wednesday that a Troy man will undergo treatment as a precaution after a deer that attacked him Tuesday tested positive for rabies. The county said it wants anyone else who may have come in contact with this particular deer to call the county health department. Anthony Remillard said he was taking some couch cushions out to the trash on Tuesday when he turned around and saw a buck in his yard. He said he backed up but saw the deer approaching him. He reacted as quickly as he could and used the cushions up in front of his face for protection. He said he was grateful for a neighbor who saw what was happening and was able to open the gate so Remillard could get out. He is also glad he had those cushions in his hands. Even still, Remillard said he was hit in the face and needed stitches at the hospital. Michael Clark is the Region 4 Wildlife Manager for DEC. He said wild animals can be unpredictable and shouldn't be approached, but what happened here is not common. Captain Thomas Kafa said the DEC received a call Tuesday night about the attack. He said that an officer found the deer in a parking lot nearby. It was already dead. The deer was removed for the DEC for testing. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. For links to the stories featured this week, please check our show notes at www.bigbuckregistry.com. If you have any ideas for future topics or have any questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Well, thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here is Henry Moncrief. Henry Moncrief, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friend? How's it going, man? Oh well, you got you got snow on the ground, right? So you're you're uh, you're in heaven. I am. I am in heaven. Other than uh, I'm busy working, but I will be out in the woods this weekend and next week. So I am anxiously awaiting that time. I've been uh, interested to talk to you for a little while, uh, as the world turns, as we can observe others on Facebook these days. I've been admiring your work. Let's put it that way. Cool. Well, I, you know, uh, I'm a simple New Hampshire guy in a small town living on a dead and dirt road, and uh, it's what I do. I'm very passionate about it. I've had a lot of failures that uh, I think led to success. So Perfect. I've been very blessed and very fortunate to make the shots count when I need to. So Beautiful. And I think we needed to discuss some of those failures so we get a, a picture of how, how things come to d- together for a hunter like yourself. Definitely. So let's uh, tell us where you're living. You said you're living on a dead end road, but where is where is dead end road? So I live in southwestern New Hampshire, approximately you know 1,600 feet, um, you know just north of Keene, New Hampshire. So you know I'm within striking distance, 25 minutes to Vermont, 45 minutes to Massachusetts, 
you know, two and a half hours to Connecticut. I can kind of strike anywhere in New England I want, you know, depending if I want to make a quick trip to Maine, a couple hours, all the way to, you know, six, seven hours north. So um, pretty centrally located for, for New England, and uh, I take full advantage of it. That's pretty cool. So you can you can get a tag in multiple states, and obviously, like, um, the, new, the, the Maine is too far for you for the most part. Not that you couldn't get to Maine, but you can quickly jump over the border into Vermont. You can quickly jump over the border into Massachusetts, living in that southwest corner. So you've got an advantage where you could get multiple licenses for multiple tags in multiple places. Exactly. And, you know, turkey season, for example, I start out the third or fourth week in April in Massachusetts, usually shoot one or two birds, jump to Vermont for May 1st, New Hampshire for May 3rd, and I'll wrap up in Maine, you know, the last week of May, first week of June. And I am that crazy guy that leaves at midnight and goes and hunts Maine for a morning turkey hunting and drives home. So (laughs) I have a couple buddies up there that, uh, you know, are real assassins that, you know, don't do these sort of podcasts. And they've taught me a lot. And there's a reason why I wake up at midnight because you just surround yourself with successful people and it makes you successful. So that's that's cool. I mean, that's a nice proximity to, to reach out to those, all those places when one season ends or one season opens before the other makes for a lot of fun. That's pretty neat. Exactly. And you can get your misses out of the way early if you have to. (laughs) Yeah. Good point. Good point. It's it's like, uh, you know, it's late season, New Hampshire, uh, Massachusetts, um, uh, the season in New Hampshire is over, and now you're you're still capable of hunting Massachusetts. Exactly. You know, right now, like everyone's concentrating on Christmas, New Year's, and you know, for a hundred bucks, you can buy your mass license. Five bucks for a turkey tag. Five bucks for muzzleloader. You know, five bucks for bear. And you know, you're hunting. You know, a week earlier and two weeks later than New Hampshire seasons. And everyone, you know, if you break it down, you go to a bar, you can buy some drinks for eighty bucks in one night, or you can hunt in Massachusetts for one hundred twenty bucks for a whole year. You know, and I choose the latter, and that's kind of, you know, it's well well worth it to me to have two extra buck tags, and I'm carrying around a smoke pole right now. So, <laughs> you're uh, you yeah, you got my wheel spun here. Like I'm I'm thinking about this aspect. That's you know I have never hunted Massachusetts, and I'm not sure why I never do. Uh, seems like it's a, a, a much of a convenience because I got to say I'm jonesing right now. Like, yeah, I, I, and that's. You know, even if you went and bought your license tomorrow, you have until, you know, December 31st, and you get two buck tags with a muzzleloader. Okay. So, I mean, you can fill those two buck tags, whether it's bow, shotgun, or muzzleloader, and you can put in for a doe tag in the summer. Gotcha. Um, you know, but it, that's really inexpensive to go and hunt out of state and get two right. buck tags. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to find it, you know, cheaper. It's it's short short travel for me you know, as well. I'm not quite as convenient as you, but, you know, I'll be, I can be there in an hour or less. Exactly. Very nice. So uh, let's talk about your earliest uh, recollection of hunting. I mean, you don't, my guess is living where you live, where I actually am from. I'm from Winchester. I grew up there. Okay. Yep. So so I understand that, that neck of the woods. That's where I caught my teeth. That's where my dad taught me to hunt. I understand that that whole area, the turkey hunting is phenomenal compared to the, the rest of the state as far as the number of birds where they, they kind of uh, reseeded the population back in the 70s. Exactly. Exactly. That's where it all started, right here in Cheshire County. So, um, yeah. So, tell us about your your childhood. Who was your mentor? Who got you started in this thing? So, I mean, like most people, you know, my father is by far my mentor. He, you know, ruled with an iron fist as I was growing up, but you know, had a very kind part to him, and he always encouraged me to do what I wanted. You know, I didn't grow up as well off as some families. You know, we ate good food and had a nice house and always had clothes, but, you know, my dad hunted for food. 
You know, there was no food plots and game cameras and, you know, fancy rifle scopes and inline muzzleloaders. It was, you know, open sight 30-30, you know, go out and shoot a doe if you can, put meat in the freezer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he didn't, he wasn't an adamant hunter. He was that guy that would go out opening day and maybe go out on the weekends. And, you know, so I don't have a rich hunting heritage in my background, um, unlike a lot of people, you know, and I kind of started from square one with about eight years of failure before I shot my first deer. So, you know, it's probably a different story than a lot of people have been on here, but I think I can relate to a lot of people because I know the frustration of hunting New England and I know what it's like to eat your tag and I've did it for more years than I haven't. (laughs) So the last, you know, eight years or so I've really figured out the deer and I've been blessed to have the opportunities I have, but you know, let's not make any mistakes. I have a lot to learn at 29 years old and I had no experience, you know, say when I was 18. So it's probably a little bit different than uh, most people. Right. So, but it's, that's a quick learn. I mean, that's uh, 11 years to do what you're doing. I mean, I, I believe me, I pay, I pay attention to this stuff of who's killing what in New Hampshire. Uh, and I've seen quite a few nice bucks come through your Facebook page compared to many of the other hunters that eat a lot of tag soup. And granted, we all we all have eaten tag soup. Uh, Dusty was coined that term for me, actually. He he, he said, uh, I forgot exactly how it went, but he one day he said, boy, you're going to be eating some tag soup. And, it, and I, I fell off the chair laughing, but then it kind of sunk in like, wait a minute, you're right. I'm eating tag soup. I don't want to eat tag soup anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, that's a whole other thing we can talk about in a bit. But it's also on, you know, you have to figure out how you want to measure success. You know, the first two years I decided I wasn't going to shoot a year and a half old buck. I ate my tag. But was I successful in the fact that I passed deer and, you know, had opportunities at good deer that I didn't, you know, capitalize on? You know, yes, one year, no, the next. I ate my tag and didn't see a buck the rest of the season when I passed a little basket eight. So, you know, we can go into that later on, but it's all on how you want to measure success. Um, that's kind of my take on it as well. Okay. So, Dusty, did you um, have a comment on tag soup? Uh, yeah, I'd say uh, <laughs> by this point, Jay should be able to brew us up one excellent pot of tag soup. <laughs> you get a percolator going? I don't. I got. I filled a tag. I don't have any antlers to show for it, but I've got meat in the freezer. Hey, perfect. Yeah. You know, and that in itself in New England is a challenge. Um, you know. Like I said, I put a lot of time in. I don't take vacations in the summer. You know, I live in the woods in the month of November. And, you know, and a lot of people say they do, and a lot of people eat their tag. I just, you know, when you get three to four weeks and you can play in the woods like I do, you're bound to get lucky once in a while. All right, so I've got some questions developing in my head. Okay. All right, so early on, you, you, you said that you eat some tag soup, as we discussed. But yes. you also started passing up deer early on, it sounds like. It's like it's like something early in So So I got lucky. You know, I shot some does and some small bucks, and then I shot my first good buck in Maine okay. um, when I was actually a sophomore in college, you know, 19 years old. Okay. Shot a nice mainframe eight-pointer, beautiful deer, and that's when the sickness started. And I knew from the second I shot that deer that it changed me as a hunter, and it was that or nothing. Like I wanted to shoot, didn't care score, didn't care weight. Like I just wanted to chase big mature deer. And that's when it all started. You know, I was 19 years old. I'm 29 now. And that's in the last 10 years, that's where I've gone to as a hunter. And I mean, I probably 90% of the time, if I would have shot the first legal deer I saw, I wouldn't have shot a big deer. So 
So that was the, first, the that was the defining moment. The defining moment in my hunting career was when I went and picked up that rack, and it was just like, wow, this is addicting. And absolutely, one hundred percent, ten years ago, changed me as a person. Okay. November eighteenth, actually, I remember the day specifically. So you you have this defining moment in Maine. You kill a big deer, and you're like, okay, I'm done shooting small bucks. What? I mean that that in itself is especially in New Hampshire is easier said than done and now you've you almost set yourself up for a much larger challenge but with a much larger reward. Exactly. Exactly. And it all goes back to how do you measure success and I just decided from that point I was measuring my success in the whitetail was on harvesting mature deer. Now, disclaimer for people listening that know me I have shot a lot of does and small bucks out of state filling tags and zones where you can fill tags. But in New Hampshire and in Maine, I have made it my point to shoot mature deer. And mostly I've narrowed it down to just New Hampshire because it seems to pay off just focusing on one area, a couple target deer, hunting smart, hunting right. And, you know, I have a real good streak going, knock on wood. (laughs) Yeah, the streak may end someday but it seems like you've gotten something figured out i want to dive deep into this i wanted to i really want to explore that the last 10 years of how you figured this out like so you go to maine you killed the big deer then you what are you bringing back to new hampshire at that point yes you made the decision but you can't it's not like just okay i'm gonna go kill a big deer every year what (laughs) what did you do what did you decide What, what changed so fast forward you know i came home Junior, senior year of college, shot some nice deer. Not big deer, but, you know, two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half-year-old deer. I consider nice, respectable deer. Um, got home, graduated college, and I have a couple pieces of woods that are big, vast pieces of woods with no agriculture. It's hardwood ridges. It's swamps. It's pinch points. And, honestly, I put a lot of miles on the ground. I sat a lot of lonely nights the first couple of years, and I've killed a lot, probably a majority of my deer within a two- or three-mile square area. Um you know, depending on the wind, I'm hunting certain places and the deer travel through there. I don't care what kind of food is out there, acorns, beech nuts, sprouts, they're traveling through these pieces. I don't sit them unless the wind is right and I don't go in there until a certain time in November that I go in there every year and it's a travel corridor where they're checking these doe bedding areas and, you know, that's the big pieces of woods and then, you know, I know that was a tongueful. But I just have the areas and the travel corridors figured out, and it's the same block of woods, and uh, I put my time in. This this theme that you just discussed, this spot, you figured out a spot. So it's not that big a spot, right? What would you say, two to three miles? Well, I you know within a area two to three miles. I mean, this block of woods is probably twelve or fourteen square miles. Okay, you know it's big, big woods. I mean, I wouldn't and. I wouldn't shoot something small out there because it's a half-day project sometimes to get them out, right. <laughs> depending on where I am. Right. So, so how did you find this spot? And, and I'm, the reason I'm curious about this because I'm I'm finding this over and over is finding specifically the better hunters in New Hampshire. I'm finding that they're going to a specific spot. The ones that are killing bigger deer more or less routinely. I'm not saying they're killing them every year, but. They more or less have figured out a spot. That spot seems to produce year in, year out. And that, I don't find that to be all that amazing because I think that's pretty much how it works. I think there are certain times of the year the bucks go to the certain area. But you've got to find I think, that spot. 
It is, and you know, I think a lot of people overcomplicate it. I think a lot of people don't get back to the basics, you know, like how many people take a scent-free shower and then they don't have a scent-free towel to dry off with. I mean, that simple step right there could be the difference between killing a big deer and not that day. Okay. You know, it's just simple, get back to your basic principles, starting with scent control, your entry and exit routes, the same stuff that I'm sure people have talked about. But if people actually stick to that stuff, and I would, you know, be surprised how many people, you know, are so meticulous about that. Um, and put 110% into every aspect of scouting and hanging cameras and hanging stands and putting your time in and your scent control. I think a lot of people talk the talk, but when it comes to walking the walk on some of that stuff, I don't think if they sat back and had someone observe them, they were doing that stuff. Okay. Um, that's just kind of my take from people I've observed. You know, like, oh, yeah, I wear scent lock, but they wear it in their truck. They wear it when they fill up. You know, they wear it on the weekend at their buddies, you know, so... Um, and I'm not saying that everyone does that, but there's definitely people that do that. Okay. I want to get into, into that and dive deep into that too. Like how, how you go about your routine. Let's go back to the spot. How did you, you, you're, you're talking about a 15 mile area that you've quartered down to two miles or so. Yep. How did you first decide that, Hey, this is the spot I'm going to, that this is in, in, out of the 15 miles. You know, and, and so narrow it down from there. So, I mean, basic, I mean, we have a lot of great tools. You know, we have uh, Google Earth, you know, we have Bing Maps, you know, we have aerial view, satellite view, topo view, you know, and you can go through all this and pretty much basic, you know, I, I learned in college and earlier in life how to read a topo map. I mean, where do you want to walk? The easiest path, the path of least resistance, you know, basics. Okay, there's a couple mountains here, you know, there's a ridge, there's a saddle. You know, these are the places I start to narrow down, and obviously, how can I get into there, you know, based on the wind? Um, and that brings it into a whole other aspect. Okay, I found this great spot. What wind do I need? Um, but, you know, I used the topo map. I went in there, and it was boots on the ground in the spring, summer, fall, winter. I mean, I'm in the woods. You know, there's hunting season, and to me, hunting season is January 1st through December 31st. Um, I'm always in the woods learning about deer. I don't know everything about them. And they'll surprise you, but, like, this time of year is great. You have snow on the ground, even, you know, in New Hampshire right now. Get out there and follow tracks. You know, I know some guys that flag trails right now, um, you know, to go back and find in the summer. Um, right. And the deer really haven't down here yarded up or anything. You know, they're still traveling. They're, you know, bumping does from what my cameras are showing me still. So there's still some normal activity before they jump into their winter holding pattern. So, um Boots on the ground in the woods is the best way to learn about a deer is to, you know, learn about him in his habitat. Okay. So you're saying that at, right after the deer season ends, um, that's when your scouting season begins. Is that kind of your Absolutely. Routine? Okay. Absolutely. So what are you yeah. doing right now as far in New Hampshire? Honestly, I have cameras out that I hung back in October. Okay. I'm going to grab them here in a few weeks. Um I'm concentrating hunting Massachusetts right now, but I do have cameras out. I have camera over food, you know, certain food sources. There's a couple ridges here that are absolutely loaded with acorn still, okay. and it's loaded with deer activity. And you know, I want to see what's around still, and be like, okay, you know, that that that's a deer that you know next September 15th I want to make a move on. Okay. So you know, I'm taking inventory. I I have a pretty good idea where these deer are bedding. Um, in a big block of woods, though, deer could bed anywhere. There's no, oh, it's a 100-yard wide pinch point between a soybean field and open hardwoods. There's, oh, there's a mountain, there's a ridge, there's another mountain, you know. So there's 
there's no normalcy, and I think a lot of people in New Hampshire, including myself, many a times get frustrated because there's no rhyme or reason, or so you think, to why those deer are there. Right. Okay. That's and, you, you said know, something very unique there, and, and I want to key in on that. Is there's no rhyme or reason, or so it seems. Exactly. Okay. So say you know you're walking along the woods, you think you have the wind in your favor, and all of a sudden deer blow downwind to you. You're like, what the heck? There's a reason why that deer was there for that wind because that's his blind spot and he smelled you. You know, if you dig into what wind that was when you saw a deer there and write it down in a notebook real fast and you start doing that, you know, it, it starts to make sense if you sit back and I'm a process-oriented person. If you sit back and look at the process, you know, okay, you know, a lot of people just say, oh man, my hunt's over. Never think about the wind or where it was or why they were there. But if you sit there and record it, you can learn from your mistake and next time do a circle around that or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, you can learn from that other than just, oh, I screwed up my hunt. And I think, you know, okay. a lot of people miss the boat on that. All right. So when you narrowed it down to this two mile area, what were you looking for? Uh, I was looking for big deer sign. You know, you can hunt, you know, a doe herd and then you can hunt bucks. You know, yes, in the middle of November, you'll catch one baby dog and a doe. I've more times than not, not had a big buck come running in, chasing a doe at 20 yards and give me a perfect shot. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen to me very often. I have had it happen, but not often. Um, you know, you don't open hardwoods. You know, I'm looking for cover breaks between hardwoods and softwoods. You know, those big deer tend to scent check from downwind that cover break. You know, whereas does might go out and feed in the open acorns, you know, that buck doesn't need to expose himself. You know, they're big for a reason, and I do really well on cover breaks between, like, you know, a hemlock swamp and an oak ridge, you know, 10 yards inside, downwind of it. Um, one spot in particular, and that's my favorite spot. And the deer feel comfortable there. Okay, so you found this comfortable spot. Now, I've noticed that you, you killed deer early season, you killed deer mid-season, you're hunting deer late-season, depending on how many how many tags you have left yep. in New Hampshire. Once you find that spot, what, where, how are you setting up? What's your strategy for when the deer season arrives? Or maybe just what do you, what's your strategy as far as tree stand hunting on the ground? So, when, do you, when do you transition? So, you know, I'm a mobile guy. You know, yes, I have hang-ons mostly for bow season. Um, I use muzzleloader in New Hampshire. That's like... I have a general idea where the deer are. You know, I've done some scouting bow. I use muzzleloader to speed scout and sit and bump and move and scout for where I kind of want to concentrate on rifle season. Okay. I've been lucky a few times muzzleloader. More often than not, I use that as a scouting tool. You know, I have a gun, so if I do see something, jump it up. Or, you know, I have a better opportunity than walking through the woods with a bow. Okay. Um and, you know, I, I'm mobile. You know, I'm not clung to this one spot that I'm talking about on a cover break. I'm going to hunt where the fresh deer sign is. But in this couple-mile square area, the deer have everything they need. And I know somewhere in that piece of woods that I've narrowed down, they're not going to be out in the green field or up on top of the ledges. They're going to be down somewhere where there's water, where there's food, where they feel comfortable, where they feel safe. So that's how I narrow it down. I stay mobile. The deer... You know, I've killed multiple deer out of the same stand, you know, this is back-to-back-to-back years, but I've also moved and, you know, killed them a mile away. And I had deer on the camera back where I have killed deer previously, but not during daylight. So it's all on the deer, how they feel comfortable. I mean, I put 120% into it. Um, Every single second that I can be in the woods, I am in the woods if the wind is right. Um, I'm studying them, making myself better. So Early season. Bow season. 
New Hampshire specifically, it goes September 15th through generally the endish of October. Or, excuse yes. me, I take that back. It goes the whole gamut. December 15th. December 15th. Yeah, September. But, yeah. but there's a transition where you can start using muzzleloader, then you can start yeah, using Yeah, the gun. first, the last Saturday in October is usually muzzleloader opener. Right. So yep. what are you doing for the half the month of September and most of the month of October before you pick up the gun? Are you focused on bow hunting? 100%. You know, I mean, I love though that first week in New Hampshire season, you can catch a big deer on its summer feeding pattern. Absolutely. You know, everyone says when they shed velvet, they get a brain. That is true to some degree, but, you know, I know a couple of guys um, and successfully year after year early season, and you, you won't hear about them. You won't see pictures on Facebook. And I've been lucky enough to pick their brains because I used to be cursed early season. And uh, obviously this year I made it all come together in a big way. Right. But, um, you know, food sources, if you can get in there September 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, you have a really good chance, you know, and that's where a game camera comes in handy on the edge of a field. And if you know where that deer's coming from, you have a really good chance to intercept him coming to that field or apple tree or lone oak tree. So I think the first, you know, week and a half, two weeks, definitely, you know, food for sure. And then October, gets tough everyone knows it gets tough you know it's still warm out rut activity hasn't picked up yet a lot of the big deer are nocturnal they're not moving a lot but i always tell myself you cannot kill them sitting in bed and guys can convince themselves all they want by reading articles on facebook that oh yeah it's the october lull i'm not going to be in the woods well guess what big deer do move at some point in daylight and you will kill one if you're in the woods if you're at home saying convincing yourself not to be in a stand you're not going to kill one so i have killed the deer october 8th you know, a really nice, respectable archery deer. So okay. it's, um, you know, you can psych yourself out and you can talk yourself out of stuff real easy. I think consistency and persistence, persistency are the two main things that that's how you kill deer in New England. And a little bit of luck. You know, you got to make the shot, but you got to have the deer come out. So you're focused on food sources early on. And what food sources are you typically looking at? You mentioned apples. Uh, you mentioned fields. Yeah, I mean, it all depends on the year. You know, this year we had a banner acorn year. I mean, you couldn't go somewhere without finding acorns over here. Um, you know, but I like, you know, being off of apples a little bit, you know, if you have a good apple trees and you got some thick cover, I like being on that edge. Um, you know, if you have some alpha, you know, some crop fields, like some corn or alfalfa, you know, that works. Um, you know, it's even better if you can have food plots. I know not everyone can do that, but a food plot doesn't need to be a two to five acre field. A big deer doesn't like that. You know, if you have a small couple hundred yard long by 50 yard wide food plot, you can attract and hold big deer. Mm-hmm. even if you only own three to five acres. Okay. so Gotcha. All right, so food source early on. Yes. The October lull, you talked about it a little bit. What, what are you keying off of in October as the their patterns start to change a little bit? You know, and I'm moving further off of food as October goes on. You know, those deer are not coming out during daylight sometimes of those fields. There might be hunting pressure where you are depending on you know, where you're bow hunting. I mean, I know not so much over my way, but, you know, you get over towards Manchester, Concord, you know, out that way, there's more people, there's more hunters in the woods. The deer can sense that. Um, you know, so you got to move a little bit further back in the woods, and that's what I do. You know, I, I stay mobile. I use a climber a lot. Um, I don't really bow hunt from the ground too much, but I do use my climber probably 75% of the time. Okay, so you're not necessarily locking in or locking yourself into one stand. Not at all. Not at all. I think you can burn a stand out very easy. Okay. 
And not only are you not using ladder stands, it doesn't sound like, but you, you like that aspect of climber stands being able to pop in and pop out wherever you feel is necessary. Exactly. That's your, that's your MO. Okay. You know, and it's almost like you're probing an area. Like, okay, I have this big deer on camera. Almost everyone uses trail cameras these days. You know, most people have multiple ones. You know, you don't know exactly where he is, especially in a bigger piece of woods. You know, it's like I said, it's, you know, they could be anywhere, you know, but they're there somewhere for a reason. You know, if you can probe these areas tactfully, you know, easy in- entrance, easy exit, you know, you're going to get, you could get lucky. You know, you sit the same stand over and over, deer are going to learn to pattern you like you're trying to pattern them, and they're going to avoid that area altogether, gotcha. especially a big deer. Okay. All right. Transition out of October yep. into November. Each month kind of represents a different type of hunting, a different behavior pattern anywhere across the country. Yep. Seasons are changing. Temperature's changing. November shows up. Rut's starting to get real heavy. Maybe there's some snow on the ground towards the end. What? What? How do you hunt November? November, I've, you know, and say for this year, I use muzzleloader. You know, I have a real close friend. Him and I hunt religiously together, you know, and we... Every muzzleloader, you know, we both hunt the same piece of woods. You know, we don't crowd each other, but we're both hunting tactfully, you know, whereas, okay, well, if I don't see one, you probably are going to see that deer this week. You know, if we put our time in here between, say, you know, I like I like that 15th of November to 25th. I like that 10-day period. That's my favorite time of the year to be in the woods. Yep. Um, you know, and I'm just going on whatever I have seen on cameras or deer sign, you know, or what I think the does are doing, and I... You know, I like to hunt close to where I know the does are feeding, but just off of them. Because those really big deer, yes, you will get that one that will run across the field. But those big deer still, I think, like to be next to thick cover. And a lot of my rifle shots, you know, I could kill them with a bow. I mean, I'm hunting stuff that a lot of guys won't. And I, you know, that's what I attribute to a lot of my success. Those big deer can scent check from a few hundred yards away. They don't need to be on that doe's butt. And, um that's where i've seen a lot of my success okay you know is i don't need to be able to see a couple hundred yards gotcha all right transition into yet another month december only 15 days left there's a little bit of gun and the rest of bow yep in new hampshire now it sounds like you start setting your sights on other states as well or or maybe you could do that in the mix i don't know we didn't get into that what, yeah, what? I mean, I always hunt opening day in Massachusetts shotgun. The Monday after Thanksgiving, I'm in Massachusetts with a couple of good friends. We've done it forever. You know, and I'm just down there as a sentimental thing, okay. you know, and I do that. You know, uh, I'm thinking 2011, I shot a 189-pound eight-pointer on December 3rd, the last day of rifle season, and that's the latest with my gun I've ever gone. And, you know, that was a really nice deer. And that deer came into a grunt call. I was sitting in an area where I knew there was a lot of bucks and there was a lot of buck sign and blew the grunt call and he came running out just like, you know, people talk about. Okay. Couldn't believe it. Just, so Just like on TV. Just like on TV. Right. I don't know what kind of grunt call it was. I wasn't sponsored by anyone. It was a grunt call. Right. You know, couldn't even tell you. Okay. And so <laughs> December, there's usually some snow. Do you, do you get into any tracking like a, a, a typical Northeaster might? So... You know, in my, my previous employment, I, I was lucky enough to work for Remington Firearms, and I recently um, took a promotion and left, but I was able to uh, pick the brain of probably one of the most well-known and most successful trackers in New England, uh, Hal Blood. Right. So this whole tracking thing is new to me, um, still hunting. You know, I've never been a good still hunter. You know, I'm a big guy, I'm goofy, and uh, never been good at it, and I've 
this year and the last couple of years, I have decided that I just want to try something new, you know, and I've been able to pick the brain of Hal and a lot of his colleagues and figure out the processes and what I need to do. Um, you know, this year, my New Hampshire rifle buck, I killed still hunting, you know, first year officially still hunting, um, walking out of my stand to check another spot and he was there with a doe, hmm. you know, got lucky, but I saw him before he saw me, Right. you know, right. and, uh, so tracking is a new aspect to me. It's something that I'm very much looking forward to. And next year going forward, you'll see a lot more of me probably going to northern Maine and wherever there's snow. So, Gotcha. And when do you start to, to uh, do, you, do you hunt Massachusetts and Vermont? Not just uh, like nostalgically with your buddies, but when do you, do you actually focus on those states as well at some point between September uh, and December? So Vermont, I used to concentrate on bow because you could shoot a few does over there. Um, but I also got to the point, I don't know, probably eight years ago where I was, I had my hands in too many states. I wasn't putting 110% in, say, just New Hampshire. And, you know, I struggled those years to shoot big deer. A couple of years I didn't. You know, by choice I didn't shoot smaller deer. But, you know, and then I was just like, okay, take a step back. If I tag out in New Hampshire, you know, on a buck I'm happy with, then I will put 110% in the mass. But, yes, I have cameras in mass. I have cameras in Vermont. I have good friends who keep an eye on some deer in Maine for me. Um, so as soon as I – New Hampshire is my main priority – I think that is the biggest challenge to me is being able to kill deer in Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont. I think those are three really tough states. And if you can kill a doe in any of those states, you're doing well. And, um, you know, that's a whole nother thing. But, you know, you see Facebook and guys are giving guys crap for shooting spike horns. And it's like, you know, that guy might have gone eight years without shooting a deer. He doesn't have three weeks vacation or private land or, you know, so that goes back to measuring success. But, yes, so getting off topic, sorry. No, it's totally cool. It's a podcast. We (laughs) like tangents. Yeah. So, so back to this other piece that you have, and I've got to ask this question because I'm sure somebody's going to wonder this. The, the the property you're hunting, does it is it a posted piece, private type situation, or is it all No, public? anyone could hunt there. Anyone okay. could hunt there. Okay. All right. And other people do hunt it, and there's some big groups of people that hunt it. I just use that to my advantage. Okay. How do you use it to your advantage? Curious. Well, you know, I mean, they go in, you know, you get your north, your northwest, your west wind, and that's a terrible wind for all these people to go in from. And, you know, I'm hunting the back or middle side of that piece, and these people don't go in far. But, you know, and they might, you know, a, a couple really nice deer were shot over the last few years out of there by a group of guys driving and stuff. But by the second week of rifle season, I have herds of deer um, in my area, you know, and they're pressured. It's like, it's like someone you could put a watch to the second week of rifle season, and that area might not have had deer and muzzleloader, but there'll be deer there the second week of rifle just because of the hunting pressure. So you're, and I hear this often, I mean, over and over too, like the good hunters, they pay attention not only to the, the deer, but they pay attention to the other hunters and where that pressure is coming from. So they exactly. can get ahead of it. Exactly. That's, I do the same thing. You know, I hate to say it. You just got to be one step ahead of, you know, if you're hunting a big public land piece, like I hunt a lot of public land, you know, you have to be one step ahead of that, that other group of hunters, you know, or that other hunter. I'm not saying cut people off. You know, I don't. I want to make that clear. Like that's not how I operate. But if someone's hunting a big group of people hunting half a mile away, I have no problem hunting the backside where I've hunted for years and been successful. So. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. Well, let's uh, let's bring Dusty into the conversation a little more here. He's been listening intently. I'd like to get into the two, some of your your gear gear check and like just strategies when it comes down to scent control. I know you mentioned that earlier and, and 
it sounds like you go to an nth degree to cover some of this stuff where, you know, every, every, oh, I'm a scent control guy, except I wore my scent control shirt in, in the, the truck. and Exactly. The so let's get into some of that. Dust, you want to come in and, and kind of go through gear checks and strategies on scent control? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, interesting listening to you guys talk about uh, hunting the New England states. That's something that uh, I've only done a few times. I know it's definitely a challenge. and. It uh, and it's uh, it's unique to hear you guys talk about the the mountain hunting and how to hunt the uh, New England New England states. It's uh, definitely a different different breed out there as far as the hunting strategies and techniques and the way you go about things. Let's get a little bit about. Uh, I'm, 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 we're going to start with like the early season scent control. How do you prep your clothes to to get ready for the season? You know, I mean, I I'm fortunate enough in my my current employer, I am a representative sales manager for Scentlock. That's one of the companies. And so, you know, I have access to all that stuff. First thing is, you know, guys can use totes, bags, whatever you want. Just have something scent-free to put your clothes in. That's what I do. I have Scentlock duffel bags. You know, do my scent-free wash. Everything's in the bag. You know, goes in the back of the truck when I get to my spot. You know, I've had my scent-free shower, wear a pair of gym shorts and a T-shirt, swap out of it right down to the boxer briefs. You know, get into my hunting gear, go in the woods. You know, my boots are in one of those totes as well. And I think boots are a big problem for a lot of people. How many people you see wearing camouflage boots out ice fishing or whatever else? You know, out in the yard shoveling snow, salt, whatever. I mean, my hunting boots are my hunting boots. Any particular soaps or anything that you wore the, uh, the hunting gear in? You know, it's, it's funny. A lot of guys, you know, I've had good luck with dead downwind had great luck with it um i've used you know the hunter specialties green soap just use something you know i don't care what brand it is i'm not the spokesperson for any of them at all just if you use the stuff correctly it's on the market it works dead downwind i've had great success with um but you know it's all personal preference i mean some people like blue some people like red um but just use some sport of you know scent free deodorant you know scent free soap scent free clothing wash Gotcha. Definitely makes sense. Let's get into uh, what any particular brand of camouflage that you're wearing into the to hunt woods. Uh, you know, I have some mossy oak. I have some real tree. I've switched over a lot of stuff to real tree. I really like the direction their pattern's going in. Um, at ATA here in a few weeks, we're going to be launching something new. It's kind of cool. So, um, you know, I'm really liking the real tree stuff. But again, I wear wool when I'm in the snow. You know, it's warm when wet. You know, I have some really nice Northeast Silent Predator stuff I just picked up from Big Woods Bucks and Hal. And, uh, you know, that stuff is worth its weight in gold. It's awesome this time of year. So you say that's a, like a wool outfit then? or Yeah, yeah, wool coat, you know, wool pants. Gotcha. You know, late season, it's warm. You know, wool really doesn't hold scent. So unless you sit there and cook bacon in front of it. <laughs> right on. <laughs> what, uh, what kind of boots are you, are you hunting in? Uh, you know, I wear rubber boots. Um, when you get some snow or wet conditions, I also have a you know a pair of hiking boots. Um, the hiking boots, you know, big rubber boots, great for early bow season. You're not walking far. Um, you know, when I'm hunting muzzleloader, you know, I have a pair of Irish setters that are you know broken and to my foot years over years. Fits like a glove. You can walk quiet. You can walk fast. You're mobile. At the end of the day, you can take your boots off because your ankles aren't swollen. <laughs> so. You know, it's all on what type of hunting I'm doing. If I'm sitting, I'm going to wear a warmer pair of boots than if I'm hiking or speed scouting, as I call it. Gotcha. Let's get into uh, backpack. Do you carry any backpack to the woods? You know, less is more. 
you know, I used to have a backpack, you know, I have, you know, I have like a chest rig kind of thing now, um, with a clip around the waist and I can fit, you know, bow season, I can fit my rangefinder, my flashlight, my wind checker. Um, you know, yes, I have a lighter in there just in case I always have a lighter in the woods, even if I'm, you know, I'm right behind my house or if I'm, you know, a hundred yards from the truck, whatever. Um, you know, just have a few go-to things. I always have a deer drag with me. I don't bring a knife usually with me. I'm superstitious. <laughs> so I'm one of those weirdos. No, would you say no knife? I, I usually, it's weird. Don't ask me, you know, people will give me crap. I've had a knife in the woods before and it's, it's weird. It's like, if I don't bring a knife, I'm more than likely going to kill a nice deer. I don't know what to say. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It could be superstition. It could be coincidence. I don't know. Right on. Let's so, get there's always your... one in the truck though. There's always one in the truck. Right, right. Let's get into your bow setup. What kind of bow are you using? I have a Matthews Halon. Any particular sights, arrows? Uh, you know, I use a Rage 2 blade. I got uh, Carbon Express arrows. I just switched over to Bloodsport. Um, and then I got a CBE Tech Hybrid Pro 3 on there. You know, nothing special. I use a thumb release. It's all, you know, personal preference. I don't think, you know... Easton is just as good of an arrow. Blood Sports good. Carbon Express is good. It's all personal preference. People give me crap for using Rage, and I've used them for years and never had an issue, never had a big deer or a small deer or anything in between go more than 40, 50 yards. How many, pounds, anything. How many pounds draw you shooting? 70. Gotcha. Well, we got into your, your clothing. We got into your bow. Let's get into the tree stand setups. When you you say you do a lot of uh, climber hunting, what kind of climber are you using? You know, I have a couple lone wolves. I actually, you're gonna laugh. My most comfortable stand. I love my big, bigger summit. I'm a big guy. Um, I can sit in that summit all day if I'm rifle hunting, if I'm bow hunting. You know, for me, it's not a big deal to carry a few extra pounds if I'm going to be comfortable because that when I'm in the stand is when I care about not moving. And if I'm in a tiny little lone wolf, you know, sit and climb or hand climb, you know, I am not comfortable. I have used them. They have their place. I'd rather have my big summit. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, bigger guy. Yeah. I'm a big guy. I like the comfort of uh, what fits me and what works best for my size for sure. No doubt exactly. about it. You know, and yeah. I've, I've wasted a lot of money. I've bought everything out there and you know, you, you don't know until you try it. You know, I don't, other people's reviews can help you, but until you use it yourself, that's that's what I tell everyone. You know, what works for me might not work for you. I'm very nonchalant. I don't push any products to anybody, whether it's that's a tree it. stand or a bow or whatever. Right on, for sure. Any uh, particular scent cover spray you would use? I like to smell like nothing. I am not a believer in earth or, you know, you get, and a lot of people disagree, I like to smell like nothing. If I smell like nothing, they don't know I'm there. If I smell like fake pine or fake dirt, you know, that deer, you know, I mean, those big deer, I've seen them, you know, I've sprayed a mock scrape before and seen a nice deer on camera come in, sniff it, and peace out, never come back. So, you know, I like to smell like nothing. That's my that's my piece of advice to people. Yeah, it makes sense. makes complete sense. Jay, that pretty much covers all the gear. All the questions you got? Okay. Yeah. All right, so... So if we're kind of piecing this together as a listener, they're they're saying, "All right, Henry is in the woods 365 days a year, or close to it." Yeah, he's hunting multiple states. He is doing his homework. He is being successful. You got to ask the question though: How do you do it? What what job allows you to be able to get out in the woods a lot? 
So, you know, I've been lucky. Like I said, I worked for Remington Firearms as the district sales manager for four and a half years. I recently left for a promotion. I work for OutTech, which is a manufacturer's representative for, you know, ScentLock, Plano, Wild Game Innovations, Evolved Harvest. So I work from home. I set my own schedule. I am gone all of January. You know, when I'm gone, like last week, I drove 1,800 miles for work. You know, when I'm gone, I'm gone. When I'm home, I'm home. I cover Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Connecticut, Mass, Rhode Island, New York. So I'm in these states. I'm in a hotel room. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. I wake up and go hunting. Gun shops or my customers aren't into work till 9 or 10. I can, in theory, hunt whatever state I wake up in for work, whereas some people wake up, go to the same job every day in the same state. I'm away from my family. I take full advantage of it, and I'm in the woods, Well, regardless of the state I'm in. So... You know, that's not for everybody. I kind of have a niche job. I know that. I know that's not possible for everybody. Um, I've been very fortunate and blessed in my life to meet people and have the opportunities I do. You know, I don't, you know, I don't say that everyone can do it because I know there's only so many jobs like mine out there. Right. right. So. That affords you the flexibility that you need to, to hunt the way you do. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right. Very cool. All right. So. Henry, we had discussed a little bit beforehand. I asked you to think of a memorable deer story uh, that you could share with us in detail, and we could really, really uh, experience it with you, kind of recreate the moment. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've had plenty over the years. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with uh, September 15th this year just because I still sit back and I'm looking at a picture right now in my office, and I'm smiling here to ear. <laughs> okay. Right. So. And that's the one you know, we this, go with. This, yep. Yeah, so this started, you know, a few years ago, and I had this deer show up, and I'm like, well, you know, that's a nice 110-inch deer. Like, I would shoot that in New Hampshire in a heartbeat. Never saw him, you know. I think, I believe that year I ate my dad three years ago. No, I shot one that year, but it wasn't this deer. It was a different deer. Um, you know, the next year he pops up, bigger deer. And I'm like, man, this deer only shows up, like, early season and late season. He is gone October, November, or he's there. He's just not there for me to see and you know fast forward to this summer um i started getting pictures of this velvet deer that i knew was going to be a giant in june and july and then he blew up in july and i'm like this is you know a deer of a lifetime in new hampshire with a gun like i don't care if it happens september 15th you know i had a conversation september 15th in the morning with a friend mike susie and keen um i was grabbing some parts for my tractor and i'm like you know tonight's the night it's gonna happen you know i'm gonna shoot a mid 150s to 160 deer with my bow he's like are you serious i said dude it's too perfect weather it's gonna happen and uh you know a lot had led up to this you know i was baiting bears you know i hadn't hadn't put a lot of time into scouting and i checked the camera september 15th midday and that deer was there the night before um in legal shooting light he was there three nights previous to that four nights previous to that and i'm like i have a good shot and you know, there's a lot of emotions for this deer just because I knew he was there. I knew the cow would have him, but it's a deer you dream about. You know, people go to the Midwest and want to shoot a 150. You know, to do it in New England, um, you know, within 20 miles of my house in a piece of property I've hunted since I was 12 years old, it was pretty cool. And that deer stepped out. I was at full draw um, for like a minute and a half. You know, he was just very cautious. And I almost shot him three different times. And he stepped out perfectly broadside and I almost released and then he stepped right towards me and I shot him quartering on which a lot of people wouldn't do um long story short I blew right through his heart he crashed into the base of my tree and flopped five yards behind me and was dead okay. um wow. with 25 minutes left illegal shooting light first thing I did got down 
took a picture of me with the deer, sent it to the local warden, sent it to another warden, just because I know what happens when you shoot a deer of that caliber, what the rumor mill is, what happens, and there was not a single person that was going to discredit me for it. And I read more and more, and actually, someone someone had told me, hey, if you shoot that deer, take a picture and send it to the warden right away. And that's what I did. They texted me right back, said, dude, that's awesome. Um, you know, we had talked about getting Northwoods Law there to kind of film the recovery, even though it was five yards from my tree, but... You know, so that part of it was good, and it didn't set in until I was going to the taxidermist, and I'm like, he's dead. Like, what do I do now? Like, the chapter's closed, and, right. you know, I'm happy he's dead, trust me. I'm happy I harvested that deer, but it's, it's it was definitely, like, mutual respect for that deer. You know, he was the king of the mountain, and that's the most memorable to me, probably because I did it in my, you know, close to home with a bow. It's a probably a record book deer, but the world will never know. He's not getting scored. So, um, it's cool, man. You know, I still think about it, and it'll be tough to beat no matter where I go, gun or bow. Right. So, right. that's probably the most memorable. You know, my boy's two years old. He was there holding on to the antlers. I got pictures of me and him. So, you know, the whole thing, it's just pictures that him and I will look back on, you know, when he's hunting, and, you know, it'll be cool. Right. So, gotcha. that's probably my most memorable hunt just because my boy was there, too, for the recovery and stuff. So Great, great story. I got to ask, though, why not score? You know, I've just... I've never been that guy that really cares about score or even cares about body weight. Um, it's a mature deer. I love it. And I think that a lot of people get so wrapped up in the score that they don't even, you know, they're so busy chasing records and so busy, you know, worrying about stats. They, they kind of get away from the principle of what I see as hunting. And that's just being out there, having fun, the chase, you know, and being successful. Obviously I want to be successful in every aspect of my life, but I don't measure success hunting by the, you know, inches of antler I shoot or how many pounds of deer weighs. Okay. Um, you know, it's kind of just, kind of just how I am. You know, I've rough scored him. You know, I've had buddies score him. My tax number scored him, but he's not going to go in any book. Um, you know, it's not a big deal to me. Okay. If I asked you about your philosophy of hunting, what does it mean to you? Like what, what should hunting mean to others? What does it mean to you? What, what is, what do you say to that? You know, hunting to me, it's kind of, you know, and I don't want to sound all like, you know, philosophical here, but, well, it's you know, a, it's a I, philosophical question, so you can't, you yeah, can't. I know, so I'll try and give you a uh, philosophical answer, but, you know, when I am out in the woods, I am just on cloud nine, you know, it's kind of where I disconnect from my busy, I'm on the cell phone, I'm on my laptop, you know, you kind of sit back, I'm on the road, I did 1900 miles last week, that week's gone, I never get that week back. You know, so when I'm in the woods, it's kind of my time. It's, you know, I can disconnect. I can recharge the batteries. It's fresh air. It's, you know, you're in the woods. And it's just, you know, it's it's where I kind of find myself and kind of find myself at peace, you know, not to sound too corny. But I absolutely love the chase, you know. I love chasing big deer. I love being in the woods. It's just, you know, it's just who I am. You know, it's not just something I do. Gotcha. Good answer. It's a good answer. All right, well, Dusty, you want to get into the 10 rapid-fire questions? Absolutely. They may not be oh, so boy. rapid, but we haven't prepared you for these. Okay. <laughs> well, I wasn't prepared for any of it, so. <laughs> You'll you right? be fine. All right, I think so. one, what's your best hunting tip? My best hunting tip? Um, be persistent. I think a lot of people give up and get discouraged, you know. Keep after it. Very good. Question number two, one thing that uh, you cannot go to the woods without something that maybe brings you luck or that one thing that you just can't hunt without <laughs> well if you ask some of my buddies i have a golden horseshoe but uh <laughs> <laughs> um 
You're one of those you know, guys. My, well, one thing I can't go without is my weapon, whatever way I'm using. I need that. <laughs> but if you're talking gear, then, um, you know, I, oof, I don't know. Let me think about that one. Probably my cell phone because I get bored sometimes. I'm just as guilty <laughs> as everyone else. I'm a normal human, man. <laughs> we'll, we'll take so. cell phones and answer. Question number yeah. three, what's your biggest pet peeve in life? My biggest pet peeve is, you know, people that instead of being happy for fellow hunters, you can go on the New Hampshire deer page, you know, be happy for other hunters. You know, if a, if a guy's kid shoots a 60-pounder, guess what? We were all kids once. I'm sure you've shot skippers. I've shot little deer. You know, I'll be the first one to admit it. And, you know, we need to stick together as hunters. So I think hunters turning on each other is probably my biggest pet peeve. You know, my major in college is conservation law enforcement, you know, and biology. And, you know, people just need to stick together when it comes to the hunting community. We're under a microscope. So my biggest pet peeve is hunters attacking other hunters. Gotcha. How old are you today? How old? 29. 29. What would uh, what would the 29 year old tell the 20 year old knowing what you know today you know slow down henry <laughs> slow down i'm the, i've been in fast forward since i probably was five years old you know and i'm 29 now and i look back on my 20s i'm like man you gotta slow it down enjoy life a little i'm a you know some people would call me high strung and you know i put a lot of pressure on myself um, to succeed, and I need to learn to go with the flow a little better. That's what I would have told my 20-year-old self. Yeah. Question number five. You meet a stranger at a convention in the lobby or in the elevator. They ask what you do for a living. What do you say? I say I'm in the outdoor industry. I'm fortunate enough to work alongside some of the some of the best, best and most bright people, I think, in the outdoor community. Um and, you know, I get to help look and test and feel new products before they hit the market and kind of voice my opinion on what I think hunters want. I think I have one of the coolest jobs in the world. Very good. Question number six. What did you have for breakfast this morning, Henry? Oh, five eggs, some deep venison sausage. Very good. <laughs> Question number seven. You get your own billboard, a blank canvas. What would it say? My own canvas? It would probably just have a picture of, uh, you know, it would say do 110% because, you know, I'm one of those people where, you know, people can exist in life and then people can live. And I'm one of those guys, if, no matter what it is, you know, my career, my family, um, you know, my friends, it's always I give 110% and I don't expect anything back. If you go through this life giving 110% to people and not having expectations, you know, you won't be disappointed. Because, um, you know, at the end of the day, I can go to bed, go to sleep at night, you know I've provided for my family, I've done this, I've done everything in my power to make my life better, my family's life better, my friend's life better, when the people around me better. And that's kind of how I've always lived my life. Awesome. Question number eight. I say the work's successful. Who's the first person that pops in your mind and why? You know, there's a lot of people in my life that I've surrounded myself that are successful. Um I'll go back to, you know, my father, you know, he's uh, a veteran, he's disabled, he's, you know, he's come over, you know, conquered a lot of stuff in his life, and I hope that I can be half the father to my son that he was to me, um, for the guidance and the support, and, you know, that's how I measure success, you know, you know, he's almost 80 years old, and I don't think he regrets a day, so. Very good. Question number nine, what's a day in your life look like? Uh, 
well, like this morning, you know, get up at four o'clock, do office work, uh, go down to the sugar house, bottle some maple syrup because everyone's ordering syrup um, for the holidays, uh, jump on the road, um, visit a few dealers, set some appointments for ATA show, uh, wrap up around 4.30 tonight, pick up my kid from daycare, get home, bottle some more syrup, get a call from Hal Blood, talk about the deer he shot today, uh, answer some work emails real fast, and jump on a call with you guys. Very cool. What's so, a uh, question number ten? What's a hunting day in your life look like? Uh, Monday through Sunday, um, four a.m. to four p.m. We'll say <laughs> no. Um, you know, a hunting day. I mean, I am primed, ready to go. Don't even need coffee. I mean, it's you know, I won't call it kill mode, but I'm in hunt mode. You know, I get excited. I get in the zone. You know. Mostly everything is in the truck or wherever I'm going the night before. I have a game plan. You know, I get to a spot. I've also driven to a spot, and the wind's completely wrong, and I end up going someplace else even if I'm a little bit late. But, you know, typical morning hunting, I'm up. You know, turkey season, opening day, I might leave my house 11 o'clock at night, get out in the field and sleep at 2 o'clock in the morning for four hours. So, you know, I'm that guy. So it all depends on what I'm hunting, where I'm hunting. But I left the house at 10 p.m. and been in northern Maine for daylight to, you know, track on snow. Wow, craziness. Yeah. Well, completes the 10 rapid-fire questions. Excellent. Well done, Henry. You did a nice cool. job there. Cool. All right, so, Henry, if we have not covered enough information here today and people who are listening to this have more questions, where can we find you on social media? Can we reach out to you, and if so, how? 100%. You know, you can give people, I mean, they could give you could give them my phone number, Facebook. You know, I I like seeing people shoot deer. You know, I am all about that. Anyone that knows me knows that, you know. Um, no, I'm probably not going to bring you to the spot. I've been looking at a big buck all year, but I will help you in your area. You know, and I've done this, you know, I've walked with buddies and they're like, what do you think? Man? I'm like, well, this is what I would do. It's not the right way. It's not the wrong way, but this is what I would do. You know, I've helped out a lot of buddies that way. And I have one friend in particular that's really helped me out over the years. And he's probably one of the reasons why I am such a successful hunter, you know, um, a few years older than me, but the kid is just an assassin. And I have a couple buddies like that that, you know, make me look like a rookie, which isn't hard. But, uh, you know, and they, they're those nonchalant guys you never even know until you walk in their house and you're like, oh, my God, these all came from New Hampshire. So, um, but, yeah, any way I can help, tell people to reach out to me on Facebook. You know, I don't, I don't even know. I think just Henry Moncrief can search me. I am no expert, but I'll tell people whatever I know. Excellent. Well, I appreciate that, Henry. It's been, it's been an absolute honor and pleasure to talk to you and, and kind of pick your brain. And it's nice to talk to somebody from the Northeast that understands my pain. So I, I get it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's it's just a different animal, you yeah. know. And I know it's you can't explain it. You know, well, I went out to Nebraska once, and I had a field day out there. It wasn't like, oh, man, I went four or five days without seeing a deer. It was like, man, I see four or five deer an hour out here during the morning and evening. This is cool. Right. But uh, it can spoil you real quick. You just got to know where you're at, and that's another goes back to the measuring the success. Right. You know, if I'm in New Hampshire, you know, I don't expect to see a deer every day or every two days. I've gone a week without seeing a deer, but then I saw the right deer when it counted. Right. So, gotcha. Awesome. Yeah, well, it's been a been a pleasure, Henry. I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, and uh, good luck for the rest of the season. I know you're still hammering down, and uh, good luck with everything out tech and ATA uh, shows and all that kind of stuff. No, definitely, man. It was it was a pleasure. You know, I'm honored to you know that you guys even thought of me. You know, I'm just a another New Hampshire guy, so I really appreciate the time. 
Well, thank you to Henry Moncrief for bringing us through how he strategizes for hunting the Northeast, looks for that pressure so that he can hunt where those hunters aren't. We've been hearing that theory over and over as we've talked to hundreds of different hunters around the country and finding that spot, that spot where those bucks like to go. It seems like he's also keying on that. We've heard that multiple times too. We wish Henry the most success in the woods and it sounds like he has plenty of states to hunt. Really appreciate him sitting down to share his strategies and techniques that he uses to hunt four different states close to where he lives. Well, Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines Tip of the Week? Yeah, Jay, I've got a Tip of the Week this week. The Chubby Tines Tip of the Week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentuckuk Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morse'sportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. You know, it's a mental game. We're getting into the late season. A lot of guys are getting discouraged. And, you know, sometimes the, the, the rifle or shotgun season rolls through and it kind of messes everything up. And it'll eventually settle down and things will get back to where they were before. But uh, now it's a, a mental game. If you can keep your mindset that you're going to have success and, and the woods is going to settle down and things are going to come back to normal, you, you got to be able to override that mental thought that I need to uh, move or get out of that woods or the deer's left or the deer's not here. You know, they, they, they go through changes no different than us, and it's a mental game for them also. Uh, just think if you you had a slug slung at you in daylight hours from a hunter, uh, you're going to change your ways too if, if you're getting shot at. But uh, hang in there. Don't, uh, don't go and mess everything up. And, you know, you make a few minor adjustments, but uh, – it's going to happen. You just got to stick it out. Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here in the studios with me? Uh, shoot me an email, dusty at bigbuckregistry.com. You can look me up on Instagram and Twitter at Chasing Antler, facebook.com forward slash chubby tines outdoors. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Likewise, you can shoot me an email, jay at bigbuckregistry.com, and you can visit us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're also on Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're also on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash bigbuckregistry, and YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. On YouTube, you can listen to all of our podcasts in their entirety. As far as videos are concerned, it's a boring video, but the audio content is there, so you can actually listen to our podcast. You can also listen to all of our live shows that we've done on Thursday nights when we do do them, and we've gone back and interviewed, re-interviewed a lot of our previous guests we had on the show just to put a face to a voice, let's put it that way. You can always listen to our show on other places as well, not just YouTube. We're found on iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and Blueberry. And if you would like to submit a buck to our page for consideration and be featured on our page in front of 250,000 diehard deer hunting fans, all you have to do is go to bigbuckredstreet.com forward slash my buck and all of the instructions will be right there. I think that's pretty much everywhere we're at. I think that's a wrap, Dusty. That's a whole lot of big buck, Jay. Sure is. I'm Jay Scott. I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>